I'm, I'm with you. I'm. I'm. No one said John Piper. There's no dog barking, John. <laughs> I was gonna say the dog knows. The dog knows. We, little, we have this little running joke on on the show that every time John Piper's name is uttered, a puppy gets kicked. And so I was like, no one said your name, John. Western Christianity has spent the last two thousand years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is not church with John and Nat Turney. Well, hello everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. This is this is not church. This is and I am. John Turney, and I'm here with my brother, Nat Turney. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm you, pretty you sure. I'm a little uncertain about who you might be. Or I'm always uncertain about who I might be. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that the way it just goes? It's like, who am I really? I don't know. That's a very existential question for this early in the day, John. I know, I know. Hey, it's, it's, <laughs> new, it's new where you are. I mean, it's only 10 o'clock where I'm at. Oh, yeah, time is irrelevant. <laughs> okay, so I'm on my second cup of coffee. <laughs> All right. All right, and here we go. Already off the rails. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we've ever started on the rails. So what's no, the point of, of pretending have. anymore, never John? Have. What's the point? I know, I know. But back to what we were doing. Uh, we are so honored yes. to have a, have with us. And I actually didn't even ask how to pronounce your name. So let's let's just see if I can sure. get it right. Uh, we have with us Hemant Meta. You did good. That was it. All right. And uh, before we get going, I'm just going to read a quick bio so you guys all kind of can kind of catch up with us. Hemet is an American author, blogger, and atheist activist. Meta is a regular speaker at atheist events and has been a board member of charitable organizations such as the Secular Student Alliance and the Foundation Beyond Belief. Meta runs the Friendly Atheist blog on Patheos, in which he and his associates publish articles several times a day and also co-host a weekly podcast called the Friendly Atheist Podcast. On April 1st, 2020, Meta won his first appearance on the television game show Jeopardy. And I, I really want to know about that. So let's, <laughs> let's start our conversation with that. I mean, how, sure. how, do we, how do you even get on Jeopardy? I know there's a process. Um, there is a process. I, I think the biggest thing is they tell you exactly how to get on the show if you want to do it. And they're yeah. not messing around. Oh, okay. Uh, I've taken the test. I've ta- the short version is I've taken the test that they give you many times and nothing ever came of it, which either means... I failed the test or maybe <laughs> I did well, but they just weren't like, I didn't make some, the next cut for whatever reason. Right. But, um, I think in like November of 2019, maybe a little before that, they said, come for an in-person interview. Oh, wow. I went to that and that was it. It was, uh, imagine a hotel ballroom full of people oh, okay. uh, who were in the same position I was in where we all took the test. I guess we did well. They said, come on down. Um, and that was it. We took another test basically to make sure we weren't cheating on the first one. Um, <laughs> they did a little mock game with everybody and had a short, literally short conversation with all of us, um, just to get a sense of, you know, what we're like as people. Um, and it was, that was it. And they're like, all right, thanks for coming, everybody. Maybe we'll call you to be on the show. Maybe we won't, but thanks for coming. <laughs> and the, what I've heard is a lot of people have made it to the in-person interview. And it, they've gotten that invite many, many right. times and nothing ever comes of it. But that is what you got to do if you want oh, okay. them to call you. And to my shock, um, that was in November when I had the in-person. And to my shock, they called a month later saying, come on out for a taping. Wow. But they literally said, it, maybe uh, you'll be in the pool for like a year and a half. So like, don't call us, we'll call you for the next year and a half. If you don't hear from us, uh, try again. And that's why yeah. people audition again and again. Right. Um, and I got lucky enough to be on uh, toward the end of Alex Trebek's life uh, when he was there. 
So uh, it was it was just an awesome experience. Uh, everyone there uh, that I was competing against, because they film a week's worth of shows in a day, it was just a week full of people who I wanted to be like, I hate you all and I want to crush you. Um, <laughs> but they were they were all obviously smart, but super nice and from yeah. all over background wise, all over the place. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm friends with everybody, but we are, everyone seemed to leave on good terms, no matter who won or lost. And even in the audience, when I'm not playing, you're kind of rooting for people on the stage. It was yeah. nice to see. So I, it was an awesome experience. It was everything I, I hoped it would be. And I say that uh, even had I not won one game, it was just a really cool experience. So I'm super jealous, man. <laughs> Did you win? What? Did you win? I, I won the first game because uh, I just bet correctly, even though I got the final Jeopardy wrong. Uh, okay. um, and but no one, no one knew what it was, so I lucked out there. Wow! And uh, in the second game, I could have won, but I genuinely <laughs> had no clue what the final Jeopardy answer was. And the woman who was uh, in second place to me absolutely knew what it was. So <laughs> she deserved to win. She won. It was it was all right. I didn't even feel bad about it after that. I'm like, I got what I came for. I got to win. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm with Nat. I'm, I'm pretty jealous. Uh, it's still probably my, my all-time favorite game show. I love that show. Yeah. Uh, I could sit and watch it. I mean, the reruns on it are, are just absolutely... It's not like a... Game shows are not something I watch in reruns, except Jeopardy. I'll watch reruns of Jeopardy because it's... I think the upside to it is because so many game shows on TV, it's it's all about tension and luck and waiting for like... Right. They're just pausing as you wait for an answer. And Jeopardy's like, no, here's 60 questions. Boom, boom, let's go really fast. And so there's no downtime. You're just going. Um, and yeah. so, it, I mean... It's not a joke to say the filming happened pretty much in real time. Like they yeah. go fast, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of amazing that way. That's very cool. Well, that that doesn't lead me into any other questions except I just want to I want to really get into. I mean, obviously, our, the, 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 the name of our podcast is "This Is Not Church," so obviously it has yeah. a it has a religious undertone, right? So uh, overtone, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. But I mean, one of the things that I find really amazing about you and we'll get we'll get into this as we move along but and I'm going to I'm going to call out Christianity a little bit even on this because I think Christianity has so held on to so many things that they even kind of hold on to this in a weird way and that's if you're an atheist you obviously are a former Christian <laughs> and I think how ego how egocentrical that is or egocentric that is for the Christian faith to automatically assume when they hear someone's an atheist that they have, they they must be a former Christian of some sort. And the right. interesting thing about you, and they had a bad experience with Christianity, or you had a bad church experience. Every apologetic book, uh, <laughs> and apologetics book, seems to be catered to an ex-Christian audience. And then, you know, there's this caricature that's painted of of atheists, um, and I, I see this all the time. Hell, they make movies about it. You know, God's <laughs> not dead is a, such a right. uh, an unbelievable pile of trash. As a right. movie, because they paint the atheist protagonist or antagonist, and yeah. so it's such two dimensional. He's such a nitwit. Right. He's so easily vanquished. You know what I mean? It's like, and he's so obviously angry and bitter, yeah. and all these things that we, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are atheists. I have a lot of people that I very, very, very much respect who who hold this view, and um, almost to a one, they're not like that at all. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think the thing about God's Not Dead is it he's, I think that professor, Kevin Sorbo's character, is an atheist because of bad stuff that happened to him. And there's no credit given to the idea that any atheist might have just come to that conclusion after thinking about it or studying it or having any sort of intellectual thought about the subject. That's that's just out of the question in those movies. Right, right. Well, because as Brian Zahn pointed out, I'm not sure if you're aware of Brian Zahn, but he's he's he was on the show a couple, what, two, three weeks ago now, John. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he pointed out, um, Christian movies aren't, they're not, they're not movies, they're propaganda. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're very much playing to an audience and they're very much playing to a, a level of expectation um, that they're supposed to proselytize. And then they wonder why they usually never make it mainstream or why right. other people aren't watching their movies. It's, and and it's, it has to be because people are way more savvy than they would ever give them credit for. You know, yeah. uh, they can see through the bullshit pretty quickly. Right. Um, and who wants to, I, I don't know. It's just, and, it, and good movies are about not just conflict, but about nuance. Exactly. And Christian movies like almost by definition lack that because you have to have a certain ending. You right. have to have a certain story arc for at least certain characters. And like any deviation from that uh, would not work for the audience that is going to buy tickets for this stuff. No, and, and, and in order for propaganda to work, you have to have a clearly defined enemy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You couldn't possibly, you know, there has to be somebody who's, you know, who, who, you're, who, you're, out to, who you're out to show up, take down, whatever. Um, I love, uh, one thing I love about film, and this wasn't where we were really thinking we'd go, but why not? What the hell? Um, <laughs> one thing I love about, one, one thing I love about the art of filmmaking and movie making and hell these days, TV making as well, um, is, is an artist's ability to get you sometimes to root for somebody who is sometimes... Uh, on the surface, a terrible person. Yeah. How do you how do you now paint this? You know what I'm saying? Like you you have these people with 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 depth and with nuance, and who you know they're not just these binary black and white good and bad people. Sometimes they're great and sometimes they're horrible. And I mean, Quentin Tarantino was always good about that. Like, how do I? How, am I rooting for this guy? Like, this guy's a terrible person. But some of the best show. I mean, there was a Netflix series recently, maybe last year or something. It was called Unbreakable, uh, based yeah. off of an article. But basically, uh, in short, uh, there's a sexual assault victim, and it's her story because no one believes her. And I remember reading the article, and I thought, like, the cops in this story, whose responsibility it is to look into her case and investigate it. I, I want to not like them because, of course, they didn't do their job. That's why we have this story. And yet in the show, the actor who portrayed like the lead investigator, the cop in that thing, like you could kind of tell he was not a bad guy. He screwed up, yeah. but he wasn't a bad guy. And like, yeah, if you're watching a thing and I'm like, I'm rooting for the guy I don't want to root for, you know it's powerful storytelling because it's making you question what you think about these things. Right. And again, this is the real problem when we're talking about those Christian movies, which is they really don't give, it's so black and white that yeah. there's no reason to ever think the bad guy is anything but a bad guy, or they're certainly not going to leave you with that by the end of the movie. Right. Um, maybe they'll give you a second of, well, maybe, no, right. it'll, it'll get resolved. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. There's no struggle there. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, it just there's no mystery either because they're clearly playing to they're clearly playing to the expectation of whoever's going to buy tickets for that movie, you know. Right. Um, who if they don't see what they expect to see will 
will turn tail and, and get the hell out of there. So, Which if they just said that up front, like yeah. I would almost respect it, but they don't. They're like, no, 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 this is a movie everyone's going to want to see. And <laughs> or whatever, that's how they market it. Like this is a battle for the soul of America. Not just whatever, say it's a man. Christian movie made for Christians yeah. and that you just had no... Uh, I don't know, consultants outside guess, your fold. Yeah, you just decided that Kirk Cameron needed a, a, another vehicle. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. Not, to yeah. The entire Christian <laughs> film industry is meant to prop up actors from the 80s. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. It's him. It's uh, the one you just mentioned from God's Not Dead. I can't remember his name. He's another yeah, Kevin 80s. Sorbo. Oh, you Kevin got Sorbo. Scott Bayo, I'm sure, somewhere in there. Yeah, probably. I'm sure they'll do a Three three Musketeers parody coming soon. What, I don't was, know. what, what was really interesting about... So, we've you know, we've had Paul Young on the show a couple of times, and he wrote this, oh, yeah. the movie. He wrote the book, The Shack. Yeah. Um, huge, big bestseller or whatever. Um, when they went to make his movie... They actually got real actors, which was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and there were some talented folks in that movie. And I did not walk away from that movie. Maybe, and I went in biased because I love Paul. And yeah. I went in biased because I love the shack and the way that it portrays an image of God that is. Um, That's not pretty, stereotypical. Right. It's not stereotypical. I mean, hell, he had the audacity to, to, to portray God as a black woman, right. um, which really pissed people off and which made me super happy. Um, <laughs> but I also didn't feel like I walked out of that thing having been subjected to some propaganda. It felt artful in its storytelling. It felt nuanced. Um, and it did not give a bunch of um, clear-cut, pat, little, cliched answers for things that are difficult. Yeah. Like, why does God allow evil in, you know, which is, you know, honestly, it's the, it's the most potent question atheists ask. Right. Um, that, that religion has not either been able to or wanted to entertain. Um, we've either decided mm -hmm. to give pat answers like God can do whatever God wants and how dare you question him, or we've tried somehow to trivialize or rationalize evil to a point where we're like, it's not really evil. Yeah. Well, that's a pile of crap. So is that a question that, that, that would, would nag at someone like you as well? I mean, listen, if God is all powerful, if God is, if this God is who he says you say he is, explain this. This is uh, an interesting little, I don't know if this is a tangent. So I don't really think about those questions anymore because it's like, well, I'm an atheist. I don't need convincing. So like, right. it's not like I struggle with that. I don't think God's in the picture. Therefore, what's the point of that question? Um, I do think that's a powerful question that if Christians can't answer for themselves, I, it's a pretty easy thing for people like me to use. Yeah. Uh, just to say, well, see, my conclusion here is the right one. You're trying to rationalize an answer that makes you feel better. I, I'll just tell you the truth. Um, so it's not something I think about. It's not something I talk about much because I just, I'm coming from a different, um, basis um, coming from a different perspective anyway. But it's one of those things where if the answer you get from Christians is God has everything planned out so that the bad stuff can be justified as part of some larger plan, that's that's like an easy way to rationalize horrible, horrible things. Yeah, suggesting sure. we can't stop it. So just, you know, Holocaust away, do whatever you want. Right. I mean, that's not a good answer. And if you say God could have prevented it, but chose not to, that's not helping. And if you say bad stuff can happen, then your prayers don't matter. So why are you trying to stop the bad thing? I mean, I know these are like apologetics 101, but the point is if, 
if these are things Christians who believe this stuff should be able to have an answer for that doesn't create all these logical loopholes. Because if they don't, it's going to be really easy to say, maybe I have it wrong. Isn't that Christianity problem 1,526? That they aren't willing to ask these hard questions and I wouldn't limit it to Christianity. I mean, that's religion right, right. Yeah. problem, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, can you give satisfactory answers to these, to these things that don't necessarily have a, a simple answer? If it's, I mean, the, the more powerful religions offer very clear cut answers. I mean, fundamentalists have answers to all of this stuff. They're not right. good answers, but they are answers and they spare people the, problem of trying to deal with nuance, right? No, like, oh yeah, someone died, but uh, God's plan, we're good, let's move on. That, I mean, it's not a good answer, but it's a satisfactory answer if you believe that stuff, and it allows you to just move forward and say, it's not as bad as I, I, I think it is. So, I mean, you gotta have some way of grappling with this stuff. I think what bugs me is when people either don't think about this stuff at all, or they just assume there's an answer, or pastors avoid the question, or whatever it is. You know, it's one of those things that there are some questions that anyone who goes to church and believes this stuff should be able to figure out at some point. I'm not saying I have to agree with their answer, but not having one seems like a bigger deal. No, I agree. And we were we were trained, you know, <laughs> in apologetics. Sure, sure. Um, you know, because the Bible says uh, that we're supposed to be able to give an answer. And so um, I was given the rote, you know, sort of knee-jerk reaction answers to some of these questions. And I, and, I, and I spewed them for a long time. And quite frankly, if I'm being really honest with you, it's because to question those things was to question many, many deeper things. And so right, um, from a... Right. From a you know, until, you know, what's that, what's that old Buddhist um, saying, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? Um, and so, uh, unless and until you're willing to, my, my other favorite saying is, I don't like asking questions I don't want the answer to, which is why I don't look at my gas gauge when I'm driving, because I don't really want to see, the, you know, or I don't check my bank account balance, because... That's what's interesting, because I think a lot of atheists I've talked to will tell you, yeah, the, they appreciate that Christian apologists will try to answer those questions. But it seems like anytime I've read those books or they've talked about those books, once they have an answer, they're done. We've answered it. We're good. There's no thought process given to, well, here are the challenges that other people may present to that answer. And let's actually dive into it. Whether it's like Lee Strobel saying, well, this smart person in front of me says God has a master plan. Therefore, that's why bad things happen to good people. It's like, yeah, okay, but I have like 17 other questions that follow up from that. But he's already moved on to the next chapter. And that's for a lot of atheists. It's like, well, clearly they didn't answer it or they didn't think of the obvious follow up. And what sort of reporter are you if you can't think of the obvious follow up? Yeah. Things like that. No, and there's a there's 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 a certain unwillingness to even try to genuinely portray your opposing viewpoint. Like instead, of doing yeah, that, we set up yeah. paper tigers. Uh, we set up, you know, right. we, we set up these little the, the straw, straw man. Yeah, uh, that's the exactly. Herring, the, we we make all these non sequitur, you know, connections between all, and 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 then and then obviously in that context, yeah, I could knock that argument down. I very much tried to get away from doing that myself. Uh, whereas, so what I mean is like if I'm writing an article saying 
some religious person did something. I think it would be unfair for me to criticize Christianity, quote unquote, because obviously million shades of Christianity. Um, I'm very, I try to be specific when I'm criticizing either a person who holds disturbing views or incorrect views, or if I'm going after a certain belief held by many Christians, at, at the very least, it's like I'm going after conservative Christianity here for this belief or this ideology that most of them espouse to. Um, because again, I, I think it would be unfair and people shouldn't take me seriously if I am using a straw man to paint all religious people, all Christians, anything like that. That would be unfair. Um, and I don't want to do that. And so, yeah, I try very hard to say this is who I'm targeting with this line of criticism. Well, as far from my perspective, man, ideology and certainly action, and that's all up for grabs. You know what I mean? I get, I get, I get in trouble because I'll call out stuff, and people are like, "Oh, well, you're just, you're just church bashing." No, I have the right to call out bad behavior <laughs> when I see it. Right, and we should, and it means more, honestly, if someone like you who is pastoring a church can call that stuff out because it's easy to dismiss people like me who are not in that group. Right. And I, I've said this so many times before, like one of the best, uh, one of the most important things right now to really challenge conservative Christians who seem to be either, I don't know, riding a Trump train or just pushing ideas that I find really awful. You need more pastors in general, conservative or not, uh, but more pastors need to be willing to talk about this stuff and call it out for what it is, even if it may alienate some of the members of the congregation, because that's going to have more impact than outsiders calling it out or quoting people or doing whatever. Well, look how much uh, look how much trouble Beth Moore's gotten into. Because, right, you know, right, she right. with a huge platform, with a huge following has finally said, you know, enough is enough. You know what? If this yeah. was anybody else, we'd be all over this guy. Um, we would critique right. the crap out of what he's doing and saying, um, we certainly wouldn't want him representing us. Um, but because somehow we feel like he's furthering our agenda, we tolerate this stuff. And so she's gotten very vocal or she had up towards the end of that, that election cycle, she had gotten very vocal about, listen, evangelicals wake the hell up. And she's, she's definitely not alone in that front. And the, the comment is like, well, if she's lost anything because of her vocal criticism, what has she really lost? The approval of people who, who what? Who weren't worth keeping around in the first place? Yeah, I, I appreciate what she's done. Um, there are others who have, um, who have had, I think, who have more to lose who won't do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so maybe she was, I think she felt, and, and again, I, I, I couldn't possibly know what she's thinking. She's welcome to come on the show anytime. Beth, I would love to have you on the show anytime. Um, I know she's listening. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I remember when, uh, you know, Rob Bell and some other guys, you know, had, had gone out of their, sort of stepped out of their evangelical safe place, I guess, almost. And, yeah. um, and they lost book deals and they lost, you know, they've gained all that back. But in the short term, it was like, you know, remember the tagline when Rob Bell wrote Love Wins was by Rob Bell. Like, see you later, dude. Like the evangelicals turn their back on you because you... In like 2004, 2006, I did an experiment, got some publicity where I went to a bunch of Christian churches as an atheist, especially those seeker services and evangelical yeah. churches. So I'm like, I'm your target audience. And yeah. I went to them and I wrote a book about, well, here's what I experienced when I went to your church. And it was for a Christian publisher, which was weird, like 
publicity <laughs> wise. But they actually, I went to Rob Bell's church when he was still a pastor. Uh, um, yeah. And it was one of those like, I can see why it's appealing, you know, because I see what he's doing. I see how he's uh, not targeting, that's not the right word, but he had a younger crowd and I could see why that was appealing. And also he was one of the only pastors willing to have a short conversation with me before he went on to preach. But um, he actually wrote the foreword for the book. It's it's kind of one of those backhanded, I also don't believe in the God atheists believe in with the beard. Right. Like, right. I, that's not what any atheist thinks, but all right. But again, this was uh, Rob Bell, who had just published a couple of books. I don't think Love Wins had come out yet. Velvet Elvis yeah. had come out by then. and yeah. Yes. Um, but because he was popular to that particular crowd, they figured, hey, if we're we're putting out a book by an atheist who is criticizing the church, let's get Rob Bell to to write this book too. Which again, I appreciated that he was willing to do that. But the point is, yes, he lost something in the short term, but also, um, I mean, one, what did he lose? The approval of other people whose voices his audience didn't care much for anyway. Right, exactly. But then I wish, yeah. I mean, I don't know. He seems to have gone into the Oprah spirituality realm and I haven't heard much from him for many yeah, years. Still, I mean, he's still out there doing stuff, writing books. And But yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's pushed farther towards the edge. But I wish he had kept criticizing the people for the right reasons like he used to. Maybe he still does. I just don't hear about it much. I'm, I'm with you. I'm... I'm... <laughs> No one said John Piper. There's no dog barking, John. <laughs> I was going to say the dog knows. The dog knows. We, this little, we have this little running joke on, on the show that every time John Piper's name is uttered, a puppy gets kicked. And so I was like, no one said your name, John. You said it twice now, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's a strange thing that a religion born out of protest, a religion born out of people questioning a system into which they were born yeah. does not tolerate questions about the system it has now propagated. Yeah, um, this should be a, if, if if Christians want to be taken seriously, all of you Christians who are listening, if you want to be taken seriously, then there has to be a constant evolution of thought. There has to be a constant evaluation of 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 what we espouse, and we have to constantly, I think, be willing to put those things on the table. And, yeah. uh, and 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 put aside things that no longer function or work. One thing I've definitely seen in the past several years is more, whether they are Christian or ex-Christians, ex-evangelicals, whatever, right, more right. willingness, especially from women who are who still believe in God, believe in the Bible, a willingness to call out the shit that's going on in their churches, whether it's assault, sexual abuse, hypocrisy. Sure. Um, and it's so hard to do that when you are in the fold and you do have something to lose because you don't have uh, the best more type of audience that'll follow you somewhere else. They're literally just saying, I can't deal with this myself and I'm willing to call it out right now. Yeah. Um, and more of people have done that overall. And th- it's hugely important. I'm not saying that because I happen to agree, but it's like, if you want to change church for the better because you think that's, I don't know, closer to Jesus, what Jesus would want, whether that's what you think church ought to be, unless the people within the fold are the ones calling out like our, there was an article out this weekend about uh, whenever this air, sorry, but like uh, it was about Liberty University's policy on abstinence and sex and things like that has had a 
I wouldn't say unintended consequence, but it's certainly a consequence of making sure women just don't report anything that happens to them because they know they will be punished for putting themselves in the situation to get attacked. And it's like, unless the victims of that sort of thing are the ones willing to call out the university, what's going to happen? Because you can't count on the leaders to change what they're doing. Look where it got them so far. So, I mean, there's a lot of bravery out of certain Christian circles right now, which is heartening to see. And I I hope they have the support system they need. But it's not going to change unless people like that call it out. Well, isn't isn't it interesting that within, within the Christian church, we uh, we are so quick to look at other faiths, say you know Islam, where women stand up finally, right, for themselves, and we applaud them, and we give them like, see, they're finally breaking the cycle from their religion, and they're getting out from underneath the thumb of the whoever's controlling them. But at the same time, we just turned a blind eye to the same exact shit right. that's happening within the Christian faith, and we see it, and we. And we know it's happening and we've heard about it and we continue to bury it and act like it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not a problem within the Christian faith. And I, I find that. Right. It's very easy for a lot of conservative Christians to criticize Islam. And by the way, I happen to agree with a lot of those criticisms. But at the same time, if they're saying, well, the women over there are oppressed and they don't have freedom. It's like, have you seen what you do at your church and how you treat women and what double standards exist? Um, And yeah, that exists. I mean, hypocrisy seems to be their faith. That's the underlying principle behind so much of what they do. It's fine when we do it. It's not okay when you do it. Um, And we're going to exaggerate everything you do in a way that if, I mean, I've said this before, but like if the world treated conservative Christians the way they treat everybody else, they would be crying persecution left and right like almost legitimately so right. as opposed to now when they just <laughs> do it for the wine. Like that's the thing. Like there's this thing that's been going around online. Like, you know how uh, conservative politicians will say things like, I live in real America because <laughs> it's the farmland. It's like, you will never hear someone like, I don't know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say, yeah, I'm from New York where real people live. She wouldn't say that because that's a horrible thing to say, suggesting if you don't come from where I come from, you right. don't count. But when the conservatives do it, it's it's just normal. That's what they do. They trash everyone else. But that's the thing I'm saying about like conservative Christians where it's like, oh, well, you can't be with those degenerate, immoral people because they'll do anything. And then it happens in their churches and they either cover it up. They're not transparent about what they do. They hide so much of what they do. I mean, there's so much of that double standard hypocrisy stuff that I'm, I'm, it's, it's not even, uh, I don't have to try hard to find examples of it. I've made a career for like 15 years just sharing those stories because there's no shortage of them. Um, And yet, I don't really know how much of a difference it makes because I don't know how many people see that who belong to those churches and say, yeah, this is true. I probably shouldn't be a part of this particular group. Because I don't, I don't care if they stop believing in God. I'm not keeping a tally counter somewhere. Um, I, I wish they would just say like, okay, I believe in God, but this church is not good for me. Let me find a more progressive church. Let me find a place that is not just raging bigotry left and right. I mean, 
fine. I would be thrilled with that. I don't care. Well, that leads me to a question then. So, so many of, I don't know, I guess evangelical Christians, and yeah, we're picking on you, get over it, you're fine. Yeah. Um, you're still the majority of people in this country, it seems like, so you'll, you'll yeah. be okay. Um, I love when they <laughs> cry like evangelical Christians, white evangelicals, I should say, are being persecuted oh, yeah. whatever, or whatever. Where it's like, can you just add on which group you would like to trade places with? I mean, I'm happy as an atheist. Let's swap all the Congress members of your faith for ones who share right, mine. Right. But I will take that deal. But what, but what it seems like the, the accusation is this: that people like you, that you're that you're that you're trying to convert people. Like your like your like your goal <laughs> is to unconvince people. Right. So you're out to. I don't think that's true. I think what you just said right. was, I just want to get you to maybe elaborate on that, but I don't really feel like you give yeah. a shit one way or the other. People believe in God. Um, seems like what right. you have an ax to grind with and a legitimate ax, by the way, um, is with the institutions and structures that then also harm. Yes. I mean, th- that's the right way of putting it. There is a philosophical argument about atheism that like the debates we could have about that. I, I don't do them. I don't care about them. I have friends in the atheist world who love those debates and they, that's part of why they are atheists because they really wanted to, uh, push back against the apologetic books and they can make those arguments. I genuinely don't care on a personal level. So I don't do those debates. Um, I am very much of the let's point out the hypocrisy. Let's get rid of the harm because not all religious people, not all, not all Christians are spreading harmful ideas. I might think they are wrong. If you believe in God, I think you are wrong. Do I care? No, I think everyone else who's not me is wrong about everything. That's just me. Right. I mean, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like there's, I don't care what you like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. But there are so many aspects of religion and religious belief that are harmful. Let's call that out. Again, if people belong to a progressive Christian church, it's not that I agree with them. It's that you're very low on my list of priorities in terms of things to rage against. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I genuinely, I have said this. I feel like it's evident in everything I do. If someone is religious, I don't care. I don't spend any time thinking about that. If you become an atheist, do it on your own time. I don't, you don't have to tell me about it. I don't care. (laughs) I just want people to recognize when religion can be harmful. I want religious people to call out the harm that is done, especially when it's done in the name of their faith. Like call it out for what it is. Um, I mean, look, I've done, I've been an atheist activist And again, most of the groups I worked with were very much not in the sense of let's convert everybody. It was let's provide a space for atheists to have discussions and meet like on college campuses. Let's make sure atheists feel like they can be part of a community when they give to charity because churches do that remarkably well. Um, But atheists, because we are lone wolves in a lot of sense, like you might you might give on your own, but it's easier when you're you feel good peer pressure. And so it's, it's trying to collect them together and say, as an atheist group, hey, there's a hurricane that happened. Those people need help. Let's donate to that cause. So again, I, I do not care if people become atheists. I don't have those conversations with people. I don't answer those emails when people want to fight me on uh, some aspect of atheism. I just ignore them. But the thing I have been pushing for so many years is calling out not the one-off 
I mean, not just, but calling out the one-out bad actors who happen to be Christian, but the systemic problems with Christianity. And I would think a lot of the stuff I talk about or write about or whatever, I would hope progressive Christians anyway could see that and say, by and large, I agree with everything you said. Almost everything, maybe. Like, I, I think that's whether I do it intentionally or not, that is my target audience. It's those believers who can see what I'm saying and say, okay, that is a problem and I agree with you, but I'm still religious and I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, but, it, but if at the end of the day, if you, can't, if you can't reconcile the fact that sexual abuse of women and children is wrong. And it's not just the Catholic church, it's happening in no, white evangelical churches, other no. Baptist churches, Mormon church, every, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those have all had major scandals in recent years. And again, the men, usually men, at the very top of the leadership, whether it's official like the Catholic Church or not, they very much never do enough to rectify any of this. They're too afraid of alienating the people who are believers, so they don't do anything. Right, and they're very they're very concerned with, you know, sadly, their bottom line. Yeah. Um, and the structures that they've built that they have to somehow sustain at that I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hillsong Church in oh, Australia, but oh yeah, of course you are. But you so you know what's swirling around Hillsong right now. Many um, scandals, many hip hop, uh, many many scandals, many many skeletons, many little things get buried and, and shoved in the dark corners. And so I actually don't care who would come along with a with a freaking spotlight and start exposing this stuff. It needs to be called out. And here's the thing: if you go to their services, like you can go to any major, massive, non-denominational megachurch. I've been there myself. I'm speaking as someone who has been there. They're so good. Like I'm not I'm not being sarcastic at all. They're really compelling services. They make you excited like you're going to a rock concert because they kind of are rock concerts. But also the sermons are designed to get you worked up and pumped up and excited about Jesus and stuff. And even if you set aside the Jesus stuff, they're also just, I say this as someone who coaches like a competitive public speaking team, they're really good speakers, the ones who are on stage at these churches. So I get the appeal even beyond a... Jesus level, I know why that stuff is addictive and you want to be a part of it. And let's not forget more than anything else, you guys think about this stuff. You think about religion and these these questions we're all grappling with, which is fantastic. Most people who go to religious services by and large, they never think about any of this stuff. They're going because they're part of something bigger than themselves. They're going because it gives them something regular to attend some it brings them comfort which is nice they're not there isn't necessarily something secular with the same level of commitment necessarily though there are always people trying but again uh, i know why a lot of those people go to church it's not because they necessarily agree with whatever is being preached that day it's because it just feels like a home for them and so it's very easy to ignore the drama that we're all talking about because it has nothing to do with why they attend these places. But all the more reason for the leaders of those churches uh, and the people who have any sort of leadership roles, whether you're a teenager, youth group leader, whatever, to call this stuff out. Because especially within evangelical Southern Baptist circles, like there isn't some dictate, uh, whatever word I'm looking for. There isn't some uh, direction from above telling you to do something or another. It's on you. Um, so you got to have the people in those churches calling it out because most people aren't paying attention. 
Yeah. Well, you, you brought up that uh, churches or the religion itself it, done correctly does have the capacity to help others. Uh, we see yeah, that within course, organizations, absolutely. right? Um, that they, they have a combined effort towards fixing something, right? Be it, uh, sending money to people who had a, you know, like during Katrina, as an example. No, I worked with a nonprofit group called, uh, Foundation Beyond Belief. It still exists. Fantastic group. But this was the thought process behind it, which is if something like Hurricane Katrina happens, churches by and large, are so good at raising money to help victims, at getting feet on the ground to help people who need help there. And that is, that's not sarcastic. That's not ironic or anything. That is genuine appreciation. There, I'm, we could talk about like whether they're proselytizing on their way there, but. Seriously, they do a good job of charity work. And our frustration was that there was no real good way to coalesce atheists to help out in that cause. They might donate by themselves to the Red Cross or something, but we were wondering, is there a way to get atheists to join forces and get volunteers on the ground and give money to those causes? That's the impetus there. So you're right. Like they have churches, church groups have so much capacity and so much organization the ability to do so much good. And that is, that's wonderful. So what was your but? <laughs> My but is that obviously it has to, it has to, it has to align with the church, right? It has to be something that the church believes in. Like you're not going to see very many churches giving money to say an LGBTQ plus community who needs help. You're not oh, going to yeah, see no, no. a church, very many churches send money to immigrants at the border who are being denied entrance into this country and are being held in a very horrific way. I think I know of a church right now that's actually helping in that. And Nat, Nat can uh, say if I'm correct or not, but yes, you are correct. Uh, sadly, uh, <laughs> if it doesn't align with the ideology of the church, then those, those horrific things that need, also need attention and need help are ceremony. Uh, they're just ceremonially just dismissed. You, you're not, you're not going to get any, I, I shouldn't say any. That's 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 not right. That's not nice to say. You're going to get very few churches to say, "Well, we're going to help these communities." You know, graciously, there are some that's you're seeing it happen in some of these progressive churches where they're willing to step out and say, "Hey, uh, how about we just help people? How about we? How right, about we right. don't? How about yeah. we take the whole proselytizing?" Let me even get selfish for a second. I would think for a lot of those churches, if you want to sell, in big quote hands, sell Christianity to the public, which obviously is a goal of a lot of these churches to spread the gospel. If you wanted to do that, think of how much easier it would be if they did exactly what you're saying. Um, granted, some of them are, but if more of those churches said, we're just here to help people, yeah, they're at the border, they're refugees, and we think we should take in refugees, and then make your connection to Jesus. Like, it would be so easy to make a Christian argument for why we should help LGBTQ people, why we should help refugees or any victims of anything. It would be so easy to do that. It would be hard for people like me to argue against. Um, and yet, it's done by so few churches and people in general, or at least, at least a lot of the larger churches and uh, get more of the space in the public eye. And that's also tough to combat. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, here's, here's the problem. Um, 
is is that so many of the churches that that are interested in these kinds of things, they're so small. Um, they don't get the coverage that you know Joel Osteen's church is going to get. Right, right. Um, they don't get the same kind of look that Rick Warren's going to get. Um, you can name drop people all day long, but the uh, what what struck me is about what what both you and John were talking about was this this somehow you know talking about the if we don't do these things unless it aligns with the ideology of the church. Uh, well, shit, helping people aligns with the ideology of Jesus. Fuck your church. Let's find out how to actually represent Jesus. Pardon my, you know, Anglo-Saxonism, whatever that is. Um, yeah. But I'm so over the church's unholy union with politics and 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 of certain political ideology that they can't see the people at the border. I had this discussion just on Sunday morning at my church. I didn't say, you know, fuck that, but I did. <laughs> in 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 no uncertain terms, said, I don't care what your political leanings are here. The people who are gathered at the border are human. And they are deserving of the same level of dignity and respect and food and shelter and clothing as as any one of your family members. Uh, and if we can't see past our own ideology enough to say that we we're in this thing to help people in general, I don't know. I'm just I'm just over it. It causes me to drop f bombs yeah. um, on a church <laughs> podcast because I don't I don't understand the I don't understand the the unwillingness to just to just help without giving a rip. Uh, what side of the political spectrum you might be aiding or abetting in that process. I don't actually care, right? Yeah, no, that's it. And again, uh, you can call out churches all day long who don't do that, who take the opposite view of that. But what's mind-boggling to me is like, uh, what's the number? Like 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump in 2016. But by 2020, that number really had not budged at all. And so it's not just a handful of very vocal pastors saying stuff that yeah. gets attention. Yeah. It's not. It's it's a large core of the entire church community who believes this stuff. And unless more Christians are willing to call it out and call it out for what it is and say what you're saying about refugees, about the poor, about whoever it is we need to help. There was a, a preacher in, is in North Carolina, William Barber, who's been leading these weekly protests on behalf of poor people and voting rights and stuff like that. He does it all in the name of God. He does everything in the name of Christianity. He has an audience there. And I I appreciate that he actually gets a lot of attention. But that, imagine this for a second. If more pastors were like that guy and not like, I don't know, Robert Jeffress or take your pick of whoever on the right... (laughs) Another puppy kicker. Sure, but yeah. imagine how much harder it would be for atheists to say, here's why you shouldn't be a Christian. It, I'm not saying it couldn't happen because I would like to think there are some intellectual arguments for atheism, but again, no one cares about them. <laughs> no one's paying attention to those. <laughs> Just on the pure like, how can you trash Christianity when I see what they're doing? It is helping people. Look what values they are pushing. That makes it inherently harder for an atheist to say there is a problem with religion, specifically Christianity, if more Christians were following a guy like that, like Barber, um, then then one of those right wing pastors who's just like my savior is Donald Trump, right? Or certainly no, acts like yeah. it. No, you've I mean you've, you've hit the nail on the head, dude. To become a Trumper or whatever you want to call him, you l- literally have to ignore everything the church told you was right. Right. And by the way, atheists 
atheists for decades have been saying they don't actually care about love thy neighbor. They don't actually care about abstinence only, uh, sexual education or whatever. We've been saying they're hypocrites. They don't actually buy this stuff. They are oppressing women or whatever. And of course, the it's easy to say that's what the outside world is saying. We know we care about this stuff. We certainly talk like it. And then look what they're supporting. And you're right. All of those things they've been saying for so many years, it turns out my side was right that you guys, not you guys, but you know what I mean. Like, you guys are hypocrites about this stuff. It's like, yeah, I know. We've been saying that forever. And yet, again, the problem is that message doesn't seep through to the conservative Christian community by and large. Um, and that's what is frustrating to me. It's like, yeah, we've been saying this stuff. Look, we were proven right. Donald Trump showed that these people care not about Jesus. They care about all this other stuff. It's always been a political game. Um, but again, who cares if that message is coming from me? It's easy to ignore me. It's a lot harder when a pastor is saying it. Well, and at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that like I'm old enough to have, I'm old enough to have lived through the Bill Clinton years, right? <laughs> right. And what what else needs to be said? You know, I and I was a young conservative evangelical, and I was I was I wanted Bill Clinton's head on a platter, and so did everybody that I knew. Right. My all the family included. values Christians and all yeah, the stuff all the family. They... Oral Roberts was all up in arms. The you know moral majority was 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 shitting themselves over all this stuff. This guy, you know, had he got a Hummer in the Oval Office from right, some right. young intern. Now. Fast forward however many years it's been since then, and while I don't really care about his sexual proclivities, uh, I would actually now, now it would be an issue of, well, power dynamics were strange in that deal, man. You were the president of the freaking United States, and she was a young intern. I have issues with all of that. I still might call for his head, but for different reasons. Right. Um, But now we see this thing play out in front of us with a guy who is, who really makes Bill Clinton look like a, like a Boy Scout, Um, makes him look like, you know, the poster child for, for family values. And, and it doesn't matter, and, right? And the evangelical Christians are silent. Actually, they're not silent. They're they're. It would be one thing if they sat on their hands and just were like, eh, yeah, okay, yeah. But they're but they're vocally supportive. I mean, think about the reasons they've given for that to explain away that hypocrisy, which is well, Donald Trump did all that before he became president. I'm not yeah. looking to the president as a savior. It's like, right. all right, fine. If you want to play that game, let me tell you what he's done while he's in office. <laughs> right, no, we right. don't care about that either. Like, I mean, this is, it's not like there's an atheist cabal that secretly organizes this stuff, but if there was, but if there was, I mean, imagine it's like, uh, I will strategically think it is a wise move to just everything conservative Christians do for the next dec- several decades, just link it to Trump forever. Cause that's the, that's the alliance they seem to want. So let's make sure people never forget about it. Will it be effective? I don't know. Trump is still around. Like, but yeah. yeah, I mean, he'll. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't ever think that Bill Clinton would recover from his debacle, and so maybe we'll have an yeah. opposite. He'll maybe instead of recovering, Trump will. will history has a has a way of shaking these things out to some degree. The funny thing think? about Clinton is that I the the right wing uh, pearl clutching about his presidency and everything he did. I, I remember, I was still young at the time, but I do remember thinking like they're going overboard. But on principle, I mean, yes, he did something wrong. And yet now it's like, no, a lot of progressives are right on board. They're not fans of his. They're not saying he was fine. They're the ones bringing up power dynamics and things like that. So it's like, if you want to trash him, go right ahead. We're not in love with Bill Clinton. 
But yeah. come on, at least call it out when it comes to Trump. And they won't, they won't. It's so shockingly, sadly obvious, you know. If Christianity can't come to the moral conclusion when it's so easy, what do you need religion for? It's to grapple with tough questions. That's the one thing religion's always been really good at, helping you answer the unanswerable questions, right? And yet, if... If, what have we learned from the past several years? It's that especially certain types of Christianity can't even get the right moral answer when it's so glaringly obvious to everybody. I mean, this was true when it comes to like same-sex marriage. It's like, should gay people be allowed to get married? The answer is yes. There's no other option here. But obviously, many Christian groups were very troubled by that. It's the easiest moral question of our time. So many of them got it wrong. What about Donald Trump? Is, is the stuff he's doing good or bad on various issues? It's like, it's bad. It's not even a question. And yet, so many of these large conservative Christian groups refuse to admit it. They, they want to defend it somehow. Again, and to, to people like me, if I want to use that against you, imagine the question, which is, if Christianity can't even tell you that someone like Donald Trump was bad or that he did bad things, why would you trust this religion to guide you through the complex, nuanced, moral issues that all of us may actually have to grapple with in life? Because they can't even get the you know low-hanging fruit right. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like they set the ball on the tee. <laughs> it gave you, you know, like a, like a, like, like a wiffle ball bat and and you still struck out swinging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I mean this is this is this is the the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers was for them and I, well, here's what's really funny dude. I do a lot of my Facebook sort of a little proselytizing on Facebook or my, my Christian opining and so prior to the election I could criticize Donald Trump with impunity. Uh, As prior to 2016 you mean? Prior to 2016, yeah. I could criticize him and did criticize him vocally. I said, and I, I remember writing a long Facebook post, you know, addressed to evangelicals telling them, this, this guy's taking you for a ride. He does not believe anything you believe. He is using you. You are all useful idiots. And you, if you vote for him, you do so at your peril. You know, and, uh, and I got, man, it was amens and yes sirs and thumbs ups. And, you know, a couple of, a couple of people tell me to go F myself, but by and large, it was, it was very, very, you know, lots of people in agreement with that. When it became obvious he was going to be the candidate, when it became obvious he was going to win, the tenor shifted immediately. And I can, I tell you what, right now, I would, to criticize Donald Trump even now um, in certain circles is to pretty much just to banish yourself from those circles, which is fine. I don't want to be in those circles anyway. And, but, and uh, even the best of the people, even the the never Trump Christians who have yeah. said, look, I don't like the guy. What were they willing to give up for that? It's like, well, if you give me judges and you at least give me the lip service I want on abortion and stuff, I will go along with anything else you do, which is what they have done in practice. I mean, it would have been very easy to say, I hate the guy. I didn't, I don't want to support him or anything, but I don't know. He gives me my judges. Like, just be honest yeah. and admit that because that's what you're doing. Yeah. And they won't even do that. They're trying to defend all the horrible stuff, which I, you don't have to do that. You could very easily make an argument for how much you hate the guy, but you like the following two things, but they don't even do that. They go all in. Yeah, it was, a, it was strange because in the very, in the beginning, it was more like, uh, okay, I don't like the guy, but the alternative is way worse. Yeah. 
which is an argument which, that I, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I guess I can understand <laughs> if that if you believe that to be true. But you're right though. But that that evolved not slowly even. It was a fairly quick evolution to no, we don't just we, we don't just tolerate this guy. Like he he's he's now carrying the banner right. for white evangelicalism, and right. he's our guy. Yeah. Um, and to and then to question or to criticize was was tantamount to blasphemy in, in in that whatever sort of orthodoxy that was. It was weird to watch. Well, and if you needed any proof that Christianity and religion just or uh, politics politics and religion don't mix and never will mix. It is this the, the conservative um, right has been screaming and yelling for you know abortion law, you name it. Right, they're red button issues which up until recently have never changed dramatically. Which is what they liked, I would argue. Like they liked that abortion was legal in most yeah. places because yeah. they could keep using it as a weapon. It gave them, a, it gave them a, something to fight against, man. And I, I, would, I would call out the conservative right and say, you never want this to change because you, don't, you need that. You need that yeah. wave to push your politics, to push your people. But I push back on progressives a little bit too and say, you know, immigration uh, reform and things like that haven't been, haven't gone the way we want them to, even when we had a more liberal uh, politician in office and had control Mm -hmm. of the Senate and had control of the House. And their their hot button issues don't really seem to change either because I think they Mm -hmm. need those too. I mean, I I would call out both sides and say, you guys have both, been preaching and yelling and screaming for very specific changes in law or whatever. But at the end of the day, you don't really want them to change because you need those button issues to help push your politic politicians into office. Um, so I'd push back on both. I would take issue with that, but what's where are you going with that? Oh, I'm just saying that I, I feel like both sides... I have problems with politics, period. Um, but uh, I would say both sides don't, don't have an end game. That seems to be anything other than helping push their propaganda, if that makes sense. I would push back on that in the sense that the politicians I like and support, the more progressive side of the Democratic wing, have no problem calling out the moderates, who I think would fit your description better. Um, So to me, it's, I don't see, it's not a problem with all politics. I, and I don't have, I don't like it when I see, in writing or anywhere where people are like, the problem is government. The problem is Congress. No, it's not. It's certain people. It's one entire party, but also certain people on the Democratic side, in my opinion, who are definitely there. What are you in it for? And I couldn't give you a good answer as to why they want to be in office because right. I see what they do and it's not helping people. Um, but when it comes to like immigration and stuff, hey, believe me, I have no shortage of criticism for like the more liberal side of things. Uh, at least mm-hmm. the Democratic Party side of things. But I also have seen literally what the other side has done that oh, yeah. has made everything yeah. worse yeah. or blocked stuff from yes. happening. It's happening right now. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, I do not want to candy coat that the, that the, the more liberal side is doing the right thing on that. Um, I absolutely say that the conservative side is absolutely horrific on how they're treating, you know, people who are trying to get into this country uh, illegally or legally. I just feel that, and and I, I think I would agree with you that it's more of the moderates on the on the Democrat side mm-hmm. who I think have, have probably a louder voice, and hopefully that's changing. I see that changing. I mean, if uh, you look and, at the bill that they're debating as we are recording this, the 
ire that I'm hearing from so many progressives and Democrats and liberals, things like that. It's not against the Republicans because they're a lost cause. They're never going to do the right thing. It's against the moderate Democrats who are trying to muck it up for no reason that we could figure out. Like it's why are you trying to make sure people don't have child care help or immigration help or whatever it is. So the side that I'm rooting for and advocating for, like they do have principles, they're fighting for those principles, but also they also know they need to get all the votes they can. So like, here's what's going to happen. They will water down the bill and it'll oh, yeah. be very easy for cynics to say, see, Congress didn't really do anything, but that's a math problem. That is not a, the politicians were all bad problem. Yeah. And that to me is like the, no, you just got to root and elect the right people. But that's a hard thing to do because that's not how the system is set up. Well, and then I would, I would, I would just say that a lot of this wouldn't even become an issue if the church followed Jesus the way Jesus spoke about the immigrant, about your brother, about your neighbor, about the other, however you want to call it. If the church would just step up and do what Jesus said, and that is take care of the immigrant, take care of the poor, take care of the needy, take care of the sick, take care of the widow, and you fill, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. Politicians wouldn't even have to get involved because we, right. we would be doing what right. we're supposed to do. Yeah, no, I mean, again, if if churches lived up to their own stated values, it would be really hard for atheists to make an argument as to why religion is bad and why you shouldn't believe in God. I'm not saying it couldn't happen because it's not right. like our arguments hinge on what Christians do, but it would be a lot harder to convince a lot of people. Here's the bottom line for me. Um, at the end of the day, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, that's, a, that's still a faith question. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what side of that thing you land on, we're all, we're working with the best evidence we have, which is sometimes no evidence. And so I'm either making an argument from from silence, saying, listen, I don't see evidence of God, therefore there's no God. I don't see any evidence that there's not a God, so there might be a God. <laughs> um, that's still a faith question on, on some level. But the rest of the stuff is objectively evaluatable. Yeah. Is, is that even a word, evaluatable, John? Um, uh, it is now. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, you either, well, because if you're one of those guys like me who's going to sit there and say, listen, I, I, I believe in God, uh, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I want to follow the things that he said. And then I, and then I do those things that are demonstrably um, the antithesis of everything Jesus ever said. Then I'm not, yeah, like you said, you, the, most atheists aren't interested in, in, in calling out, um, you know, someone's belief in, in, in God. It's, it's the hypocrisy that needs to get called out. Can I add, can I add one more thing there, which is Go when I've it, seen conservatives or Christians call out atheists, it's almost always in sound bites or yeah. quotations that are maybe in context, but it's a very small snippet of it or something. Sure. And yet the thing that I have seen at, that I've relied on for the past 10 years is literally quoting sermon clips verbatim, showing yeah. people this is, here's, here's the sermon, go watch it for yourself. Um, yeah. That's all I have to do. Just show exactly what they're saying because it makes them look bad. Whereas I feel like a lot of times when it's coming, the attacks are coming from the other side, they have to twist what my side is saying in order to make whatever point they want to make because they can't just quote someone. They have to show like the little out of context clip. Whereas I can say, here's the 10 minute sermon that this person gave. Here's the whole thing. Go watch it. Here's the transcript yeah. for you. Um, because I'm just 
showing you what they do. And that should, if that makes you look bad, maybe that's on, you know, the pastor's fault. <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, you're not wrong about that. Maybe. I'm sorry that you acting like an asshole made you look bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. I, I, my, my apologies, right? You know, and uh, no, that's, you're, you're exactly right. And don't, and, and don't we just get to the point, or at least I, I, I'm going to say I got to the point where I, none of this matters to me anymore. If you want to be Buddhist, if you want to be Muslim, you want to be Christian, you want to be atheist, you want to be follow, you know, whatever. I no longer care what faith or lack of faith that you follow as long as you're a good person and you are willing to be someone who will call out bullshit when you see bullshit, to call out bad behavior when you see bad behavior, to call out prejudice, racist, you know, whatever, homophobia, all of that. If you're willing to call that out and you're an atheist, awesome. Great. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you're doing it. If you're doing that from a Buddhist perspective, awesome. Great. I'm so glad you're doing that. That's kind of where I'm at now. I wish we could go back to the time where, yeah, people were doing exactly what you're saying, because then we could go back to debating philosophy and theology and things <laughs> yeah, like that. It would be a lot more fun. It would be. Yeah. It would be like a, a, not low stakes, but like it would be an interesting conversation. And yet we have to go back to, hey, we've read the Bible. We know what Jesus says. Here's what you're doing and all that stuff, right, which right. is exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it is exhausting. Yeah, we've all been tilting at the same windmills for a while. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Um, man, I, 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 man, I really appreciate you. I, I've enjoyed this friendly atheist conversation. Um, Likewise, thank you. I haven't, fa- I haven't found most atheists to be unfriendly. Um, so I don't know if that's a little tongue in cheek. Uh, it is little... absolutely tongue in cheek because <laughs> most atheists I've met are not the angry stereotype. It's no, cer- it's certainly not. not that I am the only friendly one or something, and I don't even think I am. <laughs> but it is, it is tongue in cheek. I'm like, if you're gonna say the name of my website or whatever, I'm gonna force you to say friendly. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I will now say that you are my, you are my third favorite atheist. Um, uh, so, oh man, who's uh, up? Who's up there? Well, jokingly, a while ago, I told I told uh, I was watching Ricky Gervais, and uh, and okay. at the end of one of his comedy shows, I can't remember which one it was. I was like, "That is my second favorite atheist." And one of my kids was like, "Who's your Who's your favorite atheist?" I said, "Your mom, my wife." So my my wife <laughs> my, my wife's an atheist. So uh, and you know very you and and also a friendly atheist. Um, but uh, nice. you, you've you've made it onto the list. You're, you're, you haven't bumped up Woo-hoo. bumped above either one of those. So you know, my wife is always going to be number one. There's no way around that. But uh, all right, I'll go after Gervais yeah, next. You go after Gervais. Yeah, yeah. You put Richard Dawkins out of the top five. Though, that's good. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I just nice. want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come onto our our little show here. We really appreciate. Sure. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, we will uh, definitely link to all of your stuff, which. Trust me, people uh, that are listening, uh, there's a lot of really good stuff. His blog is great. I just started uh, re-watching your, your, your uh, YouTube on as you go through the Bible. Oh. Uh, we didn't even talk about that. That <laughs> yeah. is so good. And I will definitely link to that because <laughs> if you aren't asking you. these, if you aren't asking these as a, as a Christian, if you are not asking these questions about your own Bible, then 
You're missing. The whole premise is uh, Christians say atheists just need to read the Bible and then they will believe. And it's like, all right, I'm going to read all of it and let's see what happens then. And it turns out there's a lot yeah, of weird yeah. stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just as you know, at some point yeah, we, it's we, should, we should have you back on and we could just talk about, we could just talk about that kind of stuff because there's so much in there that we could talk about. Yeah, let's that. do that. Sounds good. With that, we will end, end our little podcast here and, uh, And until next time. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.